we're going to look back someday, Dr. Gray, and say, what were we thinking? (laughs) Welcome to the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You are about to hear from Dr. Bob Miller. Today is all about nutrigenomics. We're going to talk about how nutrition and even environment influences our genes. This interview just keeps getting better and better. So stay till the end. Let's get rolling. Welcome to another episode of the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Bob Miller, who is a traditional naturopath specializing in the field of genetic-specific nutrition. He earned his traditional naturopathic degree from Trinity School of Natural Health and is board certified through the ANMA. In 1993, he opened the Tree of Life practice and has served as a traditional naturopath for 27 years. For the past several years, he has been engaged exclusively with functional nutritional genetic variants and related research, specializing in nutritional support for those with chronic Lyme disease. We're going to talk a little bit about all that and what that means today. So welcome to the show, Dr. Miller. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to it. We've been planning this for a long time. (laughs) Yes, I've known you for quite a while. So in chapter three of my book, speaking of your longevity blueprint, you actually helped me. I sent that chapter to you and you you helped me make sure that that made sense that what I was saying was was accurate and valid. And you've helped me along the way learn a lot of what we're going to talk about today. But referencing my book, I do want the audience to just, especially if you haven't read the book, Think about the electrical work through your house. So there's really no need to have all your lights turned on all at once, right? When you wake up in the morning, you might turn on your bedroom lights and maybe your bathroom lights, then maybe your kitchen lights as you prepare breakfast. But there's quite the intricate process that happens in that quick second, right, of you turning those lights on or turning them off with the flicker of that switch. And similarly, our genes fuel every enzymatic reaction in every cell in our body. So if you haven't quite figured out in my analogy, I'm comparing in chapter three of my book, the electrical work in the house to genetics in our body. And that's what we're going to talk about today, genetics. So a disrupted supply during power outages and blackouts can stop operations and inconvenience those affected, right? Power outage is never fun. And if you keep lights turned on too long, they can also kind of burn out, right? And so similarly, that's what can happen with our genes. Ultimately, we just want to keep the good genes turned on, the bad genes less active, as turned off as we can, right? We want those good genes working to their full potential. And so today we're going to talk about how nutrition and environment influences those light switches, right? Or those genes, right? Because again, we want to keep our good genes functioning very effectively. And we don't want to be as negatively impacted by the bad genes. I've heard you say some individuals haven't inherited the genetic lottery. And so if you're one of those individuals, you haven't inherited the genetic lottery, we want to make sure you can be as least negatively impacted as possible. So this might sound a little confusing, but I have an expert here today to hopefully make this a little easier because it's even hard for me to talk about. So Bob, tell us how you got interested in nutrigenomics and the story behind starting your company. Sure. Well, I mean, the personal story behind my my company was uh, was in my uh, late 20s. I came down with a serious case of ulcerative colitis. Uh, I was in the hospital for 21 days, uh, lost half my blood, then I hemorrhaged and uh, wasn't sure if I'd see the morning. Yikes. And uh, the solution was, well, let's cut out the colon. And it was like, I didn't like that idea a whole lot. So uh, I was in a completely different field at that time. I was uh, an executive in telecommunications and just became very interested in, in holistic healing. And of course, I'm 66 today at the time of this recording. Colon's doing just fine, but uh, I have to work at it because I'm one of those people who didn't uh, hit the lottery on the genetics. <laughs> <laughs> sure. 
So uh, what got me, so that's what got me down to my uh, pathway to traditional naturopathy. But then I'll remember one day I was looking at, uh, at homocysteine. And it's like, oh, the higher the homocysteine, the sooner you die from all causes. I mean, there's a book out there called The, uh, the H Factor that talks about how we need homocysteine to make our glutathione and other things. But if it's too high, it stimulates all kinds of inflammatory cascades. Yes. So then I started, you know, rather naively looking at, you know, the methylation process and there's enzymes behind that. It was love at first sight and I haven't looked back since and just <laughs> think this is so cool. And I've been studying it ever, ever since. And keep in mind, you know, I'm not a geneticist. We're just traditional naturopaths. So we don't look at genes related to uh, disease. You know, because there are genetics. Well, firstly, everyone's familiar with like 23andMe and Ancestry that it looks at where you're from. And then, you know, everyone's familiar with, oh, do you have this gene that would lead to breast cancer or this gene that could lead to a dementia? And that's not what I look at. You know, we look at what's called functional genomics. And that's a completely new field that I believe we're, we're pioneering. And, and just you gave that an excellent analogy, and let me just uh, jump off on that one. You know, I often tell my, my clients, you know, we eat fats, carbohydrates, proteins. We drink water, breathe air, and expose to sunlight, and everything gets made from that. I mean, it's just yeah, astonishing yeah. when you think about it. So what happens is that enzymes take one substance, they pull something else in, make something new, then another enzyme comes along and takes that, puts something else new to it. And that's how everything gets made. I mean, it's astonishing. Our hair, our skin, our nails, our red blood cells, our neurotransmitters all get made because one enzymatic process after another is happening. And it's your DNA that makes those enzymes. So at the moment we're conceived, when the sperm and the egg goes together, your genetic profile is made. And I'm sure people have seen like a ladder, you know, the, the twists. And on the one side, we get the nucleotide from mother, and the other side from father. And there's only four of them. And what happens is that uh, there's one that's ideal that makes that enzyme work the best. And then sometimes you'll get what's called a SNP or, a, you know, mutation, all kinds of causes, names for it, or just not the one that's most regular. Because I don't like to say anyone's mutated that's or defective. That's not a good term. It's just the SNP that's just not as effective. So therefore, that enzyme may not be at 100%. It might be at 80%. It might be at 40%. So in simplicity, we call it heterozygous when one side is not optimal, homozygous when both sides are not optimal. So again, in the software that we developed and the consulting we do, we're not looking at disease. We're looking at function. And, and what I mean by that, if you go back to the way old traditional naturopathic philosophy, it's that inflammation is what causes all the problems or the milieu, or the terrain. It's the terrain that allows it to happen. So that's why, you know, you can have a classroom of children. One kid always gets sick and the other one doesn't. Well, it might be the immune system, but it's also the terrain. So that's the traditional naturopathic philosophy of, is the terrain optimal? Is nutrients coming in and being absorbed? Is waste being carried out? Are we making not as much free radicals as we should? Are we making enough antioxidants. And that's what we do in functional genomics. We look at, do you have some genetic issues that might make more inflammation? And we get into the specifics if you'd like. And then we also look at, might we be making not enough antioxidants? Let me just explain that briefly for the person this is all new to them. I'm sure they've heard the, the name uh, free radical. That's basically an atom that's got one of its electrons missing because everything's made of atoms. You get the neutron, proton, the electron that spins. 
and that needs to be balanced. The free radical is one of those electrons gets ripped off. Antioxidants have a spare electron, and they donate and neutralize that. So we look at, are there processes inside the body that might be making too many free radicals? And are, might there be weakness that you're not making enough antioxidants? Might some of your detox pathways may not be as optimal? Uh, might your digestion, you know, your ability to deal with fats or your mitochondria is making energy as effective as it should? And if not, we can step in and support it. You know, one of the things I like to say with functional genomics, we never have any bad news. We don't drop any bombs on anybody. Oh, it looks like you're going to get fill-in-the-blank disease. One of my favorite jokes is the only bad news I could ever give you would be like, sorry, I don't see anything I can help you with. <laughs> Other than that, everything we see, we can be supportive of. So in functional genomics, uh, we're not treating the disease. We're looking where there might be less than optimal function, and then how do we support that? You know, how do we support that enzyme? So, for example, if an enzyme's job is to make something and it's not doing it well, there's nutrients will actually support that enzyme. Or, for example, if you're not making enough of something, well, then just give you some of that. Okay. The detox process help take that out or help take the load off. One of the examples we often give is histamine. We see so many people who have high histamine. It's become a rampant problem. And, you know, the traditional thought is we'll take antihistamines because they block the receptor sites. Well, that might give you some short-term relief, but you're really not getting to the root of the problem. There's many ways that the body can produce excess histamine, or there's many pathways that the body clears histamine that may be less than optimal, or there may be not enough cofactors for the enzymes that clear histamine, or there might be other things that actually block that clearing of the histamine. So that's why we call this the 3D chess game played underwater. <laughs> Multiple factors, not just simple answers. So there's a brief explanation of the 10,000 feet of genomics. <laughs> so, and then we can get into as much uh, specific detail as you'd like here. Sure. Yeah. I want to unpack a little bit of what you said. That was all great. So you talked about functional genomics, but I also want to make sure for the audience that we define nutrigenomics. So correct me if I'm wrong, but then that that also then blends in nutrition, looking at genetics, right? The, the study of the interaction of nutrition and genes, which is in essence what you're, you're kind of saying, right? Kind of figuring out also what nutrient is needed for the enzyme to work or to offload what needs to be offloaded or, or whatnot. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just yeah. want to make sure I mention nutrigenomics also. <laughs> absolutely. Well, let's, let's give a good example of that. And that's why everyone is unique. So one of the things we'll often hear is you'll hear people talking about, oh, the power of all these fermented foods because they're good for their gut and, you know, eat all these fermented foods. For some people. <laughs> for some. <laughs> yes. But if you don't make enough of the enzyme dynamine oxidase or you don't clear histamine, you can actually make yourself worse by eating all those healthy foods. You know, another good example is uh, kale and beets that are high in oxalates. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of times you hear of people that are, oh, I'm not feeling well. I'm going to start to eat healthy. So it's like, well, let me do some greens and I'm going to do, I'm going to do some spinach and I'm going to make some smoothies and I'm going to, you know, mix this all up and yeah, I'm going to be better. And then all of a sudden they're like, what the heck is happening? I'm worse. Well, you. The, you know, those foods are high in oxalates if you have a bit of a leaky gut, those oxalates can leak in and they can wreak havoc. They'll stimulate inflammation. Uh, you can actually get to the point that just being touched hurts because those oxalates are there. Uh, urination can be painful from the oxalates. So yeah, that's some of the interactions with, uh, with food. And sometimes food can be our best friend 
or for some people, it can actually work against them. So particularly with, uh, with histamine, if you have a histamine problem, nuts, some fish, even something made fresh that's in the refrigerator for a couple of days starts to ferment. So very, very common problem. So there's your there's your nutrigenomics. And then, of course, there's all the environmental factors. Yes, yes. We put a lot of emphasis. We can do a deep dive into the environmental factors if you'd like to. Yeah, yeah let's come back to that. I, there's so many directions we could go with this. <laughs> it's funny that you talk about eating healthy because I, based on some of the other experts that I've interviewed, they mentioned January 1, they see a lot more pelvic pain like cystitis, kidney stones, right? Because patients are trying to eat healthy and then they end up with oxalate issues or, or whatnot. And it's not that those foods are bad if you're listening. They just could be bad for you if, and again, you didn't inherit the genetic lottery as far as clearing out some of those. So I want to go back and define SNP as well. So a SNP is a, uh, I can't even remember, single nucleotide, single poly nucleotide polymorphism. Yeah. <laughs> Been a while since I've said that. And as you mentioned, some SNPs can account for something as simple as, you know, me having blue eyes, which isn't, you know, problematic, whatnot, while other SNPs can impact again, the production of enzymes that impair gene function. And so your company has a test that actually looks for these SNPs. So let's get into some of these. I, we have to bring up MTHFR variants because that was one of the first variants, maybe that even you learned about, that I think a lot of individuals came to me very concerned that they had, right? They thought it was uh, just terrible. <laughs> um, when in, What I've learned is to look at all of the variants in totality. Just having one MTHFR variant is not the end of the world. We need to look at all of the, <laughs> all the genetic variants. But for those individuals who may already know who are listening that they have an MTHFR MTHFR variant. Can you talk a little bit about that and what impact that can have? And then maybe let's go through, you've already mentioned there are oxalate SNPs, there are histamine SNPs. What are some of the other, I guess, I don't want to say maybe the appropriate word is most common SNPs that you see that can cause problems? So let's start with MTHFR and then let's, I'll just let you mention maybe your, your top five. Well, the first thing I do, because I get calls like that, oh my God, I've got MTHFR. I know. My first response <laughs> Me is- too. Relax. Okay. <laughs> you know, in my software, I, I look at the, uh, the how often these things happen. And like the MTHFR C677 heterozygous happens around 47% of the people we look at. You know, I, I think we started talking about MTHFR when we started learning about genomics. And, you know, quite frankly, what it is, it's an enzyme that puts what's called a methyl group on your folate. Now, folate is important because uh, that stimulates something called mTOR, mammalian target of rapamycin, which is the growth of new cells. So when a woman gets pregnant, you know, if you don't have enough of that methylfolate, well, either you won't get pregnant, could have a miscarriage or a deformed baby because that mTOR is not going fast enough. And it's also responsible for taking homocysteine, putting it back into methionine so that we can make something called SAMI, acetylmethionine, which is a cofactor for clearing histamine, clearing dopamine. That also goes uh, down to make your, uh, you know, your glutathione as the homocysteine goes down through. So that methylation process is very important, but I think it's been way overemphasized. Mm -hmm. I agree. You know, as I said, uh, I nearly died in my uh, in my early age. I don't have MTHFR. I've seen many people that have the MTHFR variation. They're ninety years old and they're doing just fine. So we have to look at this in totality. If you look at a chart, you'll see that there's folate receptor sites first. You could have problems there. There's, uh, there's other things before you get to methylfolate. And then after you get to methylfolate, there's an enzyme called MTR that takes homocysteine with methyl B12. 
And then there's something called MTRR that puts a methyl group on B12. So you've got methylated B12. So all of those play together. So I've seen people that have the MTHFR C677. They're methylating fine. Their health is fine. They have nothing to worry about. Now, if you've got folate receptors, if you've got MTR, MTRR, uh, maybe you've got some inflammation going on in the body from other reasons. Uh, there's an enzyme called MAT that takes methionine to SAMI. That's why one of my favorite sayings is the 3D chess game played underwater. Multiple factors. And I think when we try to take one enzyme and say, this is the bomb that makes a big difference, I get a little concerned. I know there's like Facebook groups that all they talk about is MTHFR. And I'm thinking, what in the world could you be talking about <laughs> post after post, you know? And for those listening, if you've read, or I'm sorry, if you've read about MTHFR that you've tested yourself for and you put yourself on B vitamins, there does come a point in time where you actually could be taking too much. Sometimes you just need a little bit of the nutrient, right? You don't need to take that same high dose of whatever you're taking, you know, methylfolate or methylcobalamin forever, right? Your needs can change. And so I would highly encourage you, and we're going to talk about this at the end of the show today, to find a practitioner who's trained in analyzing all of these SNPs in totality like we're talking about today. Because this is just, it's just complex stuff. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit more about methylfolate. Yeah, uh, yeah. Again, necessary for pregnant women and all. But particularly, a lot of people don't know this, but you know, as we said, methylfolate stimulates mTOR. If someone is exposed to the COVID virus, it's mTOR that replicates it. Yikes. So now's not a time to be overdoing your mTOR. So just a, a Bob Miller hypothesis, I think some of the people that are most risk are like bodybuilders who are taking the folate and the amino acids and the hormones to try to boost that mTOR because COVID hijacks mTOR. Now, we're not saying this is a cure, don't get mTOR, don't get COVID, but I'm just saying if you have mTOR upregulated and you're exposed, there's the potential that it could replicate more quickly. Now, the other thing we want to talk about is that you know, there's so many inflammatory things going on right now. Autoimmune disease is, mm -hmm. is happening. And uh, there's a cytokine called IL-6, interleukin-6. And I'm very intrigued by this. And it's our friend, unless it's not. So what I mean by that is that IL-6 is there to kill a virus or help clean up a wound. But if it's overactive... That's when it causes mast cell activation, higher histamine, higher superoxide. One of the things in the Neutrogenic Research Institute we're looking at is that I believe multiple environmental factors, particularly amplified in those with genetic weakness, have higher levels of interleukin-6. And that creates this cascade of mast cells. And we can talk about what mast cells are, but you know, I'm sure when you started your practice, there wasn't many mast cell activation patients. Now you probably see a lot of it. You know? mm -hmm. And I believe environmental factors is what's doing that. So my bottom line on that is that methylfolate will stimulate an mTOR, which stimulates interleukin-6. Leading to this kind of cytokine storm. I'm sure listeners have heard in the media about the cytokine storm that can happen with COVID. IL-6 is a cytokine. I'm just trying to kind of bring that full circle. So Sure. And I, and I believe multiple factors are causing interleukin-6 to be amplified. And that's why we're seeing so much mast cell activation. And then the final thing on MTHFR is if you don't have enough NADPH, and we can get into that, but that's basically what takes your oxidized antioxidants back into reduced. In other words, after an antioxidant does its job, it loses its electron, needs to be recharged with something called NADPH. 
And if you don't have enough of that, methylfolate can actually make you more inflamed and anxious. Mm. So can't tell you how many people in my health coaching I've improved their health by saying, let's stop the methylfolate or take it one or two days a week. When I see people that are inflamed, it's like, let's not do any methylfolate, get inflammation calmed down, and maybe do 600, 800 micrograms one or two days a week later. And it's like, yep. what do you mean I have MTHFR? But sometimes that's all they need if you're not pregnant or don't have other specific needs with, with homocysteine. Sure, sure. So, uh, so anyway, I grew up with, you know, I started out with the MTHFR like everybody else, you know, started giving it and heard all these people, I'm anxious and inflamed. It's like, whoa, what's wrong here? So uh, it's important, but I think we've overemphasized it. What are some other genetic variants or SNPs that you commonly see that we should talk about today? <laughs> well, let me first say that, uh, you know, I get referrals from physicians or work with physicians, you know, on people that are really struggling. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. my demographics might be a bit skewed. Sure, sure. But in those that are really struggling, here's my latest finding of what I think is happening. Remember, we talked about the importance of antioxidants. Mm -hmm. Glutathione is the master antioxidant. Yes. So it has a spare electron. And if you run out of glutathione, you're done. <laughs> so it's, it's maximum in our 20s, you know, starts going down as we age. And the lower it goes, the more inflamed you're going to be, the more the cells are going to disintegrate. So the glutathione donates that electron through glutathione conjugation, takes out toxins. So we tend to think the more glutathione, the better. So a lot of functional doctors are saying, take glutathione. For some people, it's wonderful. And other people are like, I'm feeling worse. And sometimes, you know, functional medicine doctors will argue and say, well, that can't be. You're just making this up. No, they're not. What happens is there's an enzyme called GSR, glutathione S-reductase. And its job is to take that oxidized glutathione, put an electron back on it from NADPH, and recycle it. One of the most common things I'm seeing in those that are really struggling is they've got mutations on GSR, or they've got mutations in something called NQO1 or G6PD that they don't make enough NADPH. And therefore, that oxidized glutathione doesn't go back to the reduced. Now, it doesn't just sit there. It'll actually combine with oxygen to make another free radical called superoxide, and it's still not done doing its damage. It'll combine with nitric oxide, which is needed for circulation, and make something called peroxynitrite, which is very oxidizing, which actually damages the cells and also depletes your glutathione. So talk about the strangest thing. If you take too much glutathione at the wrong time, you can make yourself more inflamed and deplete your glutathione. Now, I'm not saying that does that. I'm just saying if you don't take that oxidized glutathione back to the reduced, and you're stuck there. So that's one of the most common things I'm seeing. I believe that genetic and environmental factors is impeding our ability to take oxidized glutathione back to reduced, leading to this inflamed condition. And these are the folks that try everything. It's like, I've been to every clinic and I've gone on every diet. Nothing's working. I take glutathione. I feel worse. You know, I take other nutrients. I feel worse. So for a lot of folks, we got to make sure that GSR is working. Now, the reason I think this is becoming more of a problem is because NADPH, one of my favorite subjects, is what puts that electron back on the oxidized to reduced glutathione. And I believe environmental factors is upregulating an enzyme called NOx, NADPH, 
oxidase. And it's using NADPH to make inflammation. That's one of the most curious things I've ever seen. NADPH will recycle your antioxidants, help you make nitric oxide, help you turn heme into uh, the storage of the iron, does all kinds of good things, but the NADPH oxidase enzyme will use it to make inflammation. Now, I'm very intrigued by this. This is one of the major areas that we're researching, we're trying to teach practitioners on, and that is that the NADPH oxidase enzyme is our friend. When we are faced with a pathogen, it says, whoa, we got a problem here. Let's make a lot of free radicals to kill this pathogen. If we didn't do that, we wouldn't live. But again, we're seeing all these people with mast cell activation, I believe environmental factors that we weren't exposed to 30 to 40 years ago is overstimulating the NOx enzyme. Hmm. And I've called this the NADPH steel. Hmm. That I haven't NAD- heard that yet. Yeah. <laughs> That's a word I made up. So. <laughs> so the NADPH steel, I believe, is when the NOx enzyme is upregulated by environmental factors or even things like Lyme disease or mold exposure. We can talk about Lyme and mold if you want because I think mold is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. So then our NADPH is being used by this guy to make inflammation. Consequently, we don't have the NADPH to recycle our glutathione. And if we don't have enough NADPH, methylfolate becomes inflammatory. So you can see why I call this the 3D chess game. Multiple factors. All of this has to be uh, brought into effect. You know, the, the, There are no easy solutions of, oh, I have MTHFR, therefore take methylfolate. Oh, I'm inflamed, so therefore I take glutathione. You got to look at a huge picture. But just to sum it up, I believe environmental factors are upregulating the NOx enzyme, using up our NADPH, not allowing us to recycle our glutathione, amplified in those who might have SNPs on the GSR enzyme or SNPs on something called NQO1 or G6PD, that they don't make enough NADPH. Those people are hit harder by environmental factors. So that's the big thing that I see going on. Now, the other SNP that, I, that I'm finding to be very significant is NERF2 and KEEP1. Yes, talk about those. Yeah, NERF2 is a, is a big one. Nuclear transaction factor, Enthroid2, that's what we just call it, NERF2. So NERF2 will determine how long you live. Interestingly, in mammal studies, there's a relationship between the average age of the mammal and its NERF2 activity. Fascinating. You know, like turtles and elephants have high NERF2. Things that only live short periods of time have lower NERF2. So NERF2 is an interesting enzyme. It signals the body to make glutathione, use glutathione, and recycle glutathione. But it's also involved with making your NADPH. It's also involved with your phase one, phase two, and phase three. It's involved with how we use our cholesterol. It's involved in quite a few factors. And if we don't have enough NERF2 activity, we're not going to detox. We're not going to take care of those free radicals. We're not going to use our blood sugar properly. And, you know, we're in trouble. So there are SNPs that can happen on NERF2 that weaken it. But to make it the 4D chess game, there's something called KEEP1 that holds on to NERF2. And it senses when there's a need for NERF2 activity and releases it. The analogy I give is sometimes think of a sprinkler in the ceiling. So the sprinkler sits up in the ceiling and does nothing unless there's a fire. There's a water hose behind it. And if there's a fire, the valve opens up, the water goes out and puts out the fire. 
if the heat sensor is not good or the valve is sticky, the fire comes along and it doesn't respond. So there's a specific, there's only one SNP in Keep One, and we have that in the software, that when it's mutated, it's an upregulation, meaning it's holding on more tightly. And then there's another Keep One mutation that's a downregulation. Now, either one can be a problem because if you don't release your nerve 2 to release antioxidants, you're going to be inflamed. But it's interesting, everything's like a double-edged sword. If you would happen to get a cancerous cell, your body attacks it and tries to kill it. That's what chemotherapy does. If you have downregulation of KEEP1, the nerve 2 could actually protect the cancer cell. So talk about a, you know, a double-edged sword. We need the antioxidant protection to protect us from damage that causes cancer, but if you've got a tumor and your body's attacking, you don't want the nerve 2 protecting the cell. So one of my favorite sayings is Goldilocks to three bears. Not too much, not too little. So nerf 2, keep 1. Well, there's one SNP on keep 1, and I believe that is significantly more important than MTHFR. And out of all the GSR enzymes, there's only two that are down regulation. Now, what I've been uh, very fascinated by is the FADS enzymes, fatty acid desaturase. This is a big deal. Because this is what takes uh, the fats that we eat from our diet and takes them down a pathway to, to make what are called protectins and resolvins that are anti-inflammatory. If they're not working properly, we make arachidonic acid, which will then be pro-inflammatory. So one of the things I see in people that just can't seem to get well, no matter what they try, they have a lot of SNPs in the fatty acid desaturase genes. So those are ones I'd put to the top of the list. Now, what I also find interesting is the interplay. So what we're finding is if someone doesn't take their oxidized glutathione back to reduced and they don't break down their fats, these are the people in real trouble. So there's an enzyme called ALOX that will actually make something called 12-HEDI-12-PEDI that stimulates COX-2, which is very inflammatory. And these are the folks they just hurt all over. Nobody can figure out what's going on. These are also the people that if they try the uh, ketogenic diet, they can't do it because they try to eat all these fats and all their fats are just becoming inflammatory. And these are also people who have weight issues because the, uh, they can't use their fat for fuel, so they crave carbohydrates. So it's not a that they're slovenly or don't have self-control. They're self-medicating with all these carbohydrates because they can't use fats for fuel. Now, if you remember, I started out by saying I don't have any bad news. Because for these people, they may need to take things like amylase, protease, you know, other digestive enzymes, maybe some pancreatic enzymes with their meals to step in and help them break down their fats. Remember, I said no bad news. So if, you're, if you don't break down your fats, there's ways to step in. You can't fix the fats genes. You know, sometimes I tell people we have good news and bad news. The good news is we can compensate. The bad news is we can compensate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so you can't fix it. But if your fatty acid desaturases are not doing their job properly, you just step in and help. Now, I'll share with you my, some of my most recent research. This is the first time I've talked about this on a podcast. So this is where this information is premiering. Okay. <laughs> nitric oxide. If you, you know, Google nitric oxide, you will see hundreds of websites, you know, touting Look, this won a Nobel Prize in 1991. Three scientists won an award because this dilates the blood vessels and uh, therefore it's related to cardiovascular health. All of that is absolutely true. 
And that is done by an enzyme called enos endothelial nitric oxide. The more of that, the better. So that's why, you know, people will carry with them nitroglycerin because it'll boost the enos. That's why we use Viagra and Cialis for men with erectile dysfunction because they need their, the blood flow for the erection. However, there's an enzyme called inos, inducible nitric oxide. And again, this guy is our friend, unless it's not. And what I mean by that is when we have bacteria, virus, or parasites, INOS says, we got a problem here. Let's make extra nitric oxide to make inflammation to kill these pathogens. Now, again, without that, we die of infection, especially like Epstein-Barr. If somebody doesn't have INOS, Epstein-Barr kills them. So we need this INOS to kill the pathogens. So it's not all bad. But again, I go back and I look at what are environmental factors that might be overstimulating INOS. And in our research, we found some very fascinating things. BPA from plastics stimulates INOS. We're going to look back someday, Dr. Gray, and say, what were we thinking? <laughs> Between the fumes from car exhaust, industrial emissions, and, as many of us have experienced recently, smoke from forest fires, the air we breathe is often filled with harmful pollutants. But did you know that the EPA has shown that indoor air can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air? This is why at my clinic and at my home, I use Air Doctor air filters. These filters are 100 times more effective than ordinary purifiers and help capture smoke, viruses, bacteria, pollen, mold, and dust mites. In fact, they capture 100% of some of the most dangerous ultrafine particles as small as 0.003 microns in size. And that's pretty small. They have a proprietary dual-action carbon gas trap VOC filter, which combines two types of media, activated carbon to remove gas and odors and potassium permanganate to deactivate certain volatile organic compounds, VOCs, like formaldehyde. Air Doctor's auto mode uses a professional-grade air quality sensor to assess the air in the room and immediately adjust to correct levels of air filtration. The sensor will also alert you when your air quality is compromised by changing its indicator lights from green to yellow or red. I discovered this feature almost immediately after installing my Air Doctor at home when the indicator light went from green to red. It got me wondering why the air was so bad and I did some digging. It turned out there was a problem with my furnace. After it was fixed, the Air Doctor sensor immediately turned back to green. Had I not discovered the issue with the help of the Air Doctor, we could have ended up with much greater problems. I often recommend the Air Doctor to my patients dealing with mold toxicity. Of course, I always recommend they remove themselves from the mold exposure as soon as possible, but I understand it takes time to remediate the home. So in the meantime, as well as on an ongoing basis, I recommend they get air doctors running in their homes. One of these machines would be a great Christmas gift for a loved one. Stop by the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic if you'd like to see different sizes or visit the bonus tab of my website, yourlongevityblueprint.com, to find a special link for $280 off the 83000 using code GRAY15. That's capital G-R-A-Y 15. And watch for even greater promotions during Black Friday and Cyber Monday. But... You must use my link, which we'll post in the show notes. Ever drinking out of plastic ever? Like putting no. everything at food. So many food products are stored in plastic. I talk a lot about BPA on the podcast because of the hormone disrupting component, because obviously I have a hormone clinic. I see a lot of women in midlife. Plastics can cause, as you're talking about, more problems than just with your endocrine system. Sure. It stimulates the INOS. Then aluminum. You know, we're going to look back someday thinking about why were we smearing aluminum chlorohydrate into our armpits? Mm -hmm. 
and uh, and some of the other sources of aluminum. And then also uh, one of the things we're really digging into is lipopolysaccharides. They stimulate uh, INOS as well. What we believe, we're still researching it, but there are evidence-based NOS2 enzymes that we believe are gain of function. And what I've been observing and what we're researching is that when people have a lot of mutations on these NOS2 enzymes, the INOS is upregulated. We can't find the literature that confirms it yet, but when you look at the literature, what these things cause, like, you know, excess INOS is behind inflammatory bowel disease and rheumatoid arthritis. As we're researching and observing, we're seeing a lot of people who have inflammatory bowel disease and uh, rheumatoid arthritis have a lot of these NOS2 mutations, which we believe are upregulation. So that's some of our uh, some of our exciting research right now. And then finally, there is a gene called IL-6 enzyme that actually stimulates the IL-6, and there are mutations that are upregulation of that uh, interleukin-6. And, and the final one, the final two that I think are really important is NQ01 and G6PD. NQ01 takes something called NADH, which is energy, but turns it into NAD+. And that NAD+, is part of your DNA repair, making of your antioxidants, making NADPH. NQ01 also helps clear superoxide. So again, we see people who have a lot of mutations in NQ01, and there's only two of them that are evidence-based. Those people are having trouble. And G6PD, that's also how we make NADPH. And mutations in those uh, lead to a lot of inflammation. So those are just off the top of my head. Those are the top ones that I think are much more important than MTHFR. Not that that's not an issue, but I think there's others that wreck a whole lot more havoc in the body when they're not functioning. I'd say worsened by environmental factors. Oh, and I want to get to environmental factors next, but I want to comment on a couple things. So you alluded to a software, and so I want to make sure the audience understands what software we're talking about. So your company, you call it a lab? Do you call oh, no, we're, we're not a lab. We, we do a genetic test that we made that we had custom-made for ourselves, and then the lab is Rutgers. Uh, it's called Brooks at Rutgers University. They're the lab that extracts the DNA. Okay. So we have to have professionals who are licensed, you know, to do all sure. that kind of stuff. sure. Then I, I wrote software that takes that data from Brooks at Rutgers and runs it into software where it just displays the mutations and organizes them. Yep. So the, the software is for professionals only. This isn't something I know there's stuff you can go to online where you can load up. And uh, my software is only for, for doctors, you know, nurse practitioners, you know, someone who actually has a practice and has some kind of licensure or certification sure. uh, because it is complex. I think when people try to do this on their own, it's just confusing. And just so the audience understands, so if you've done 23andMe testing or ancestry or testing, whatnot, you can find, like like Dr. Miller was alluding to, sites online where it will interpret some of your genes or it'll essentially plug them into a little report, you know, two-page report telling you, you have an MTHFR <laughs> variant or a vitamin D receptor variant or whatnot. What we're talking about is a whole nother level higher, right? So I don't even know how many pages your reports are like 60, 70. I don't even know how many pages they are these days. They're very long. So all of these variants that he's alluding to today are going to be tested. If you just do a 23andMe test and you log into your 23andMe portal, they're not going to display any of this information. So this is taking the analysis a whole nother level higher. <laughs> and it, it does have... Yeah. No, a, oh, go ahead. So I was just going to say, 23andMe, if someone has an old 23andMe version, version 3 or 4, there's good data on there. 
their version 5, which they upgraded, I think, for better ancestry or other things, from a functional standpoint, it's almost useless. So that's why, and I'm not criticizing the report. I mean, they, they made it better in other ways, but for functional data, they took most of it out. So that's why I made my own test called Your Genomic Resource that looks at 225,000 SNPs. So doctors order the kit for the patient. They send it to Rutgers. Rutgers in their CLIA lab take the data out, send it back to my software company who organizes it and gives a printout to the doctor and the patient. A very thorough analysis, yeah. yeah. And what we're doing, we're really excited about this. We've just added uh, dynamic messages. So, I mean, I, this is all I do. So I'm, I'm a geek and this is all I do. But for the busy doctor, it's like, this is way too much to learn. So what we're doing is we, we're putting logic in and we're going to have new reports that it'll connect the dots. So it'll tell the doctor, you know what? They've got GSR plus they also have NERF 2 and KEEP 1. That makes this potentially worse. Oh, that'll be helpful. Worse. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to have all kinds of pop-ups and so it'll be like me sitting there with the doctor saying, hey, look at this. You know, say, for example, you've got, you think you've got mast cell activation and you've also then got trouble with the MAO enzyme that breaks down the histamine. It'll connect those dots for the doctor because, again, everything connected. You can't make a decision based upon one SNP or one enzyme because they all interplay. It's, I often give the analogy, it's like a spider web. You touch one piece and the rest gets affected. So you got to look how they all interconnect. So in my software, and we don't make decisions based upon the SNPs because you never make decisions based upon the SNPs. The doctor has to make decisions upon the SNPs, the labs, and the symptoms. So for right now, we put in the Great Plains urine organic acid test, and their patient fills out like a 150-question survey. So if you have a lot of SNPs on, say, like the HNMT enzyme that breaks down histamine, and they report that they've got spring and fall allergies and they get hives all the time. Well, then it's like, oh, I think... Connect we, the dots. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So you should never make a decision just based upon the SNPs because they may not sure. be expressed. I often say the SNPs are like somebody waving at you. Think about looking here. <laughs> so, uh, but if they're, if they're not expressing the, 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 the labs or the symptoms with it, well, then it's probably not all that serious. So anybody who says you should do this based upon that one SNP, I think is doing a disservice. It's much more complex. You need a, a trained health professional who looks at SNPs, labs, symptoms together to make a clinical decision. And then also you got to do it in the right order. You know, one of my favorite sayings is when the house is burning down, you don't paint the walls and mow the lawn. So <laughs> if people are in a lot of inflammation, maybe now's not the time to start doing some big heavy metal detox right. or, right. you know, start boosting energy production. Let's put out that fire. Let's knock down those free radicals, boost the antioxidants, take our time. One of my other favorite things is I'd rather be a little too late than too soon. Knock down the inflammation, then do a little bit of cleanup then do a little bit of building. You know, just think about it as a silly analogy, but if a house is burning down, you don't yeah. call the carpenters. Uh, you don't call the cleanup crew. You call the fire department. And you know, this is so obvious, but yet sometimes we don't think about it. It's like, oh, I'm tired. What can I do to boost energy? Well, you might be tired because the cells are inflamed. And if you try to do things to boost things up, you may make things worse. In my software, we have what's called the, the pyramid where there's a bottom row that's all the things that create inflammation. 
The next row up is how you make antioxidants. The next row up then would be your phase two detox pathways. You got to do things in the right order. So good. So good. I have to go back quickly. If you could quickly comment on COMT variants. That was, those are variants I mentioned in my book because I have, through various times in my life, I have kind of unfortunately been stuck in a more of an adrenaline storm. I couldn't kind of clear out the adrenaline as well. And, and now I do know some nutrients and lifestyle changes that I need to plug in, you know, to help. Can you focus a little bit on COMT for a minute here and the importance of looking at those variants? Yeah, yeah catecholaminomethyltransferase. And, uh, and what COMT does, it uses SAMI as a cofactor to clear out excess dopamine, excess histamines, I'm sorry, excess estrogens and other catecholamines. So if that's not working properly, the dopamine can go too high. Now, dopamine is what, uh, you know, gives you drive. But on the other hand, if the dopamine is too high, you're not a fun person to be around. And then additionally to that, the, the dopamine can stimulate cytokines. And not only does COMT come to play in there, by the way, if somebody has clostridia, uh, there's an enzyme called DBH, dopamine beta hydroxase, that turns dopamine into norepinephrine. So if somebody's got clostridia, that can be impacted and you can also have mutations on DBH as well. But back to COMT. One of the things that's fascinating is that if you don't have enough SAMI, doesn't matter whether you have mutations on COMT or not. So that's why, you know, although I make a genetic report, I often say you can't make a determination just on the enzyme. You could have no mutations at all on COMT. And if you don't have enough SAMI because of MTHFR and other things, it's like having a brand new car without gas. It sits there and does nothing. Now, there's also things that will encourage enzyme function and discourage it. Estrogen inhibits COMT. Testosterone strengthens it. And then there's also things called tyramine, like in things like cheese, that will inhibit COMT. And then, of course, you can have mutations on COMT that lower the function. And also quercetin. You know, a lot of people are taking quercetin for histamine. Quercetin will also inhibit COMT. So that's one of the things we're putting in the software. As people are looking at nutrients, a little message will pop up. This person has a lot of COMT. Maybe you want to not consider quercetin. So again, quercetin, superb nutrient, unless you've already got impaired COMT function. So think about what's happening. You know, we are living in a sea of estrogen with all these plastics. So estrogen is going up, particularly in boys. Testosterone is going down. So if you talk to college professors, what do you hear about the boys? Fragile. They get upset quickly. They need safe spaces and coloring books, you know, because they're, they're afraid. And it's not their fault. You know, I'm not being critical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But as their testosterone goes down and their estrogen goes up, they're going to have less COMT function. Additionally, there's an enzyme called histidine decarboxylase that will turn the amino acid histidine into histamine. And testosterone calms that down. So particularly for boys, if their testosterone starts going down, besides all the other benefits, histamine could go up, dopamine could go up. And again, I'm, this is purely hypothetical, speculative. But, you know, turn on the news for 10 minutes and it's like, what in the world is happening to everybody? People seem to be getting angrier quickly, condemning everyone, violent. Again, Bob Miller's speculation but I have to wonder if environmental factors are not playing a role in the higher dopamine and the higher histamine. And, uh, and that's why we're seeing people becoming uh, irrational, 
uh, very irrational. I get asked all the time, what's one product that I just can't live without when it comes to maintaining my own health and longevity? And my answer is something you've actually heard me mention on several episodes. It's called mitochondrial complex, and it's pretty much the Cadillac of multivitamins. And it's packed with antioxidants, including three key players, acetyl-L-carnitine, alpha-lipoic acid, and N-acetylcysteine. Think of a steam engine that requires coal to be continually shoveled into the furnace to power the train forward. Acetyl-L-carnitine does that for your body by shoveling short-chain fatty acids into your cells to provide your body with energy. This is an absolutely essential task to keeping you running. However, what's a byproduct of fire? You guessed it, smoke. Unfortunately, in this analogy, smoke from fire equals free radicals. To combat those free radicals, other antioxidants are needed, and that's where alpha-lipoic acid and N-acetylcysteine come in. Together, they scavenge free radicals and help boost and recharge glutathione, the most potent antioxidant in the body. To top it off, mitochondrial complex also contains a little bit of green tea extract, broccoli seed extract with sulforaphane, and even resveratrol. Research has shown that when athletes and individuals that are under stress begin taking this product, they are less likely to get sick as they're giving their body what it needs to conquer those stressors. Who doesn't need protection from stress and cellular damage at this time? I certainly do. I take this product every day. If you're interested in learning more about how mitochondrial complex can help support you living a longer, healthier life, check out my blog post on why antioxidants are important found at yourlongevityblueprint.com forward slash why dash antioxidants dash are dash important or in chapter four of my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. To get 10% off our mitochondrial complex, just use code ENERGY when checking out at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Thank you for going over all those all those variants. I, I could end the podcast now, but I want to talk about environment. So let's move on to environment, but we've jam-packed this already. So in my book, if you've listened at all to me talk about variants as well, you've heard me say this. I didn't coin this term. I am not the first person that has said this, but essentially the saying our genetics loads the gun, but environment pulls the trigger means in part that the environment can be the straw that breaks the camel's back, right? So back to my book. Sorry, uh, trying to organize my thoughts here. I mentioned just an example in chapter three, that you could be managing your genetic variants well until you travel, right? But then you're stressed out, you're sleep deprived, you have radiation maybe from the plane ride, electromagnetic chaos, everybody's on their phones, then you, you know, you're sleeping in a beach house that may have mold exposure, right? So then you have alcohol if you're having margaritas or (laughs) whatnot. So suddenly all of these, all of these variants, unfortunately, can now be expressed, can you can, based on the lifestyle in that moment, this could set off a cascade of events that you kind of feel like you're starting to fall apart. And so that's an extreme example of how, yes, you may have these genetic variants, but now the environment of the and the stress of this vacation are pulling the trigger per se. Hopefully I explained that decently. <laughs> you did a great job. You got you nailed it. <laughs> so let's talk about what you have found. You've already mentioned BPA, aluminum, LPS. Uh, what are some environmental factors that are negatively going to impact our genetic expression? Yeah, my people might be surprised by this, but I'm very concerned about EMF, electromagnetic field. Me too. Yeah. And and this isn't just, you know, conspiracy theory. I mean, if you go on the internet and you start looking at the literature, because everything I try to say, I make sure it's based upon literature, not just speculation or I heard somebody say. And there is a ton of literature out there on how electromagnetic fields increase our free radicals and decrease our antioxidants. One of the major pathways, there's an enzyme called CACNA1C, or calcium voltage channel. And what that does, it pushes calcium into the cell. And that's a good thing, unless it's excessive. 
And if that calcium voltage channel is weak because it's mutated, and then you're exposed to electromagnetic fields. Now, let's think about the history of man. It's just a blip in time that we've been exposed to all these cell phones. So we have our cell phones on us. We have our Wi-Fi at home. We might be streaming our video to our television set. We get smart homes where we tell the drapes to go up or down. You know? yeah. <laughs> uh, Alexa is listening to us. And then you live near a cell tower. And so from a historical perspective, we're in way uncharted territory. And there is some concern that this EMF, it's happening to all of us. But again, those who have genetic weakness, and I've seen this hundreds of times, people who have genetic weakness in their calcium voltage channels, particularly if they get a mutation from both parents, EMF has a profound effect. They're not making it up. You know, they feel funny when they hold a cell phone. And I, and I think we're going to look back someday, particularly, you know, I'm glad to see you've got wired earbuds there. But I think we're going to look back someday and say, what were we thinking putting little transmitters into our ears? And then, you know, we're streaming our video. So I think for the people who are listening to this, a couple of common sense, don't charge your cell phone next to your bed. And every once in a while you hear about teenagers that put their cell phone under their pillow so they hear a text message. It's like, yikes. You know, your cell phone is constantly communicating back to the tower. So even when you're not speaking, it's doing that. So I think we need to do some common sense things on, on the EMF. Miller households may be a little crazy, but uh, a couple months ago, we pulled the plug on Wi-Fi. We just wired everything. I personally sleep in a sleeping bag called 5G Blockwave that's made of silver threads that at least while I'm sleeping, I'm not getting uh, radiated. You know, I'm a bit of a dinosaur in my office. Wired mouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wired keyboard. This internet connection is wired. So I, I think uh, we need to do some common sense things. So I, I believe uh, I heard one doctor say one time that we believe EMF is going to be like smoking was back in the 1950s. Mm. And I believe we're going to see some negative effects from that. Uh, yep. The other one, of course, is glyphosate uh, or Roundup. You know, again, we, we was touted that this was safe and, and I'm no expert. But if you listen to Dr. Uh, Stephanie Seneff, you know, from uh, MIT, she makes some good arguments that this is impacting our, our uh, glycine which is affecting us in many ways, impacting the, the heme cycle. Then as we discussed, the plastics, the, the xenoestrogens of those. You know, male frogs are getting ovaries. Something's up here. And I'm in Pennsylvania, and I saw an article that you can't find one waterway in Pennsylvania that doesn't have plastics in it. You know, wow. the microplastics. We've destroyed the earth. I know. We have. And uh, I like say I'm not some tree-hugging hippie here, but, you know, we, we have to be realistic in our, in our uh, you know, in what we've done. We, we really have. And then, you know, the other one I think we're going to look back on is what were we thinking? Giving the animals growth hormones so they get fatter faster. Oh, my goodness. That stimulates mTOR. That weakens autophagy. mTOR is the growth of new cells, and it doesn't care whether it's a healthy cell or cancer cell, it replicates it. And then that weakens our autophagy, the ability to take things out. So I'm sure you're seeing women getting younger and younger with age spots. You know, with a, they're called oh, age sure. spots. Yeah, yeah. I, thought I was saying getting younger and younger. No, no I have some myself. Yeah. No, uh -huh. Yes, yes, I, I am seeing those. Yeah. So you're seeing women younger having age getting spots. Getting the age spots. Yeah. So the, uh, and that's those age spots is when autophagy is not working as robustly as it should. So we've done so many things to stimulate uh, mTOR. And then we have the volatile organic compounds. We're making our homes tighter. 
I, I personally think we're going to look back someday and say, carpet, why did we do that? Because <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, when it's new, it's the volatile organic compounds and yeah. mold. And then uh, finally, I believe that mold is getting much stronger. I don't know what's driving it. Some people say, and I, I don't see any papers on this, but it's speculated that EMF might be making mold stronger. I don't know. It may. I don't want to say that that's happening. That's speculation out there. But I just see so many individuals that are so sick because they're exposed to mold. And those mycotoxins stimulate interleukin-6. We're researching, but I think they also stimulate INOS, but I can't say for sure. But so many individuals, the cause of their, their illness is mold exposure. And you, you know what happens. You talk to people, do you have mold in your house? Oh, no, 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 we don't have any mold. Everything's good. Well, did you ever get your ducts cleaned? Well, no, no, we never did that. And, you know, some people have their, you know, their, their ductwork is full of mold. Or they may not even see mis- visible mold, but it might just be in the air. You know, if you had a, a water leak five years ago, toilet overflowed, somebody, the tub overflowed, water came in, that mold can be hidden somewhere and you don't see it. Yep. By the time you see it, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we we recommend people do like the Great Plains, uh, you know, mycotoxin test. And people are stunned how much mycotoxins they have. And I believe if you are filled with mycotoxins, there's no natural remedies, there's no medical remedies that are going to get you well. You've got to get out of the mold. Because if you're living in mold, I mean, you might be able to take pain down a little bit. You might be able to do a little something. But you'll never get well if you don't get out of mold. And then if you've got mold and EMF, or if you've had Lyme disease, that's the trifecta, so to speak, the, the triple threat that really puts people in a hurtful situation. So there's my, uh, there's my top environmental thing. Lots, lots, lots to unpack there. Well, tell us for listeners who are maybe diving in for the first episode today and very overwhelmed after, after this episode, how can they find a practitioner who you have trained, who uses your software, who can run the appropriate you know, a- analysis and interpret those results? So tell us about yourself where listeners can find and connect with you, your company, and how they can find a practitioner familiar with what we're talking about today. Well, if somebody wants to talk to us here, our website is tolhealth.com, Tree of Life Health. So T is in Tom, O is in Oscar, L is in Larry. TOLHealth.com. Our phone number is 717-733-2003. But of course, you know what you're doing on this stuff as well. So they can contact you and you can run the test and and do it for them. And then if you go to our website, functionalgenomicanalysis.com, there's also a list of other trained individuals. So if someone would like to go see somebody near them, they can do that. And and also, um, you know, if someone is listening to this who is a practitioner, we do have online courses to train them how to do that. We also have uh, conferences now and again. And uh, what we do is the, the first couple of classes people can take for free because this is not for everybody. This is not for the faint of heart. This is for the serious practitioner who wants to delve in. So I want to be clear, this software does not give you a one-page report that says, do this. <laughs> you've got to look at it. You've got to analyze it. You've got to make some decisions. We actually now have it that the practitioner can make their own custom product. They can actually work with personalized nutrients and make a bottle for the individual. And we're having upgrades on that. So if you go to functionalgenomicanalysis.com, you'll see there's a certification course. And the practitioners can take the first couple classes for free and decide us for them. Because some people are like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing I've ever heard. And others will say, nope, too much work, not doing it. And that's okay. You know, we don't want anybody doing it who's not 
interested. Uh, then if they want to finish the certification course, uh, and if they put in Dr. Gray, D-R-G-R-A-Y, they'll get $100 off the course. Then at the end, they, they submit some uh, case studies they've done. And of course, this doesn't qualify for anything that you're not licensed for. This just says you take a certification course in functional genomics. So there's a couple of a handful of, uh, of lay people who say, you know what, I'm not a practitioner, but I just think this is way cool. I'd like to know it. Okay. But I mean, obviously you can't practice, but if you just want to know it for your own knowledge, because you think it's cool, they can, uh, they can take it as well. So that's, that's your best bet. Take the certification course. Or if somebody does have some knowledge, we give a free trial of the software. So they have to put in that they're a you know, licensed or certified practitioner. They have an office. Again, this is not for the public. Then we open up an account for them. And if they have an old 23andMe, they can load that up for free and try it. The genetic test is $199. The doctor pays. And uh, so we try to keep it very reasonable. And the doctors that we have using it are thrilled because they're getting answers they didn't get before. So if someone's inflamed, unless you look at the genomics, you don't know if it's because maybe the iron is being turned into a free radical. You know, maybe IL-6 is upregulated, or maybe that's all fine and you're just not making antioxidants. Without that roadmap, you're kind of in the dark. I mean, sure, you can give some antioxidants, you can give some glutathione, but if you want to be a precision practitioner, be in where specifically the problem is. And I didn't mention that. You know, iron can be a bad boy. Without iron, life doesn't exist. We need it to carry our oxygen. But if iron is excess and not carried around properly, it's one of the nastiest free radicals there is. It will chew you up and spit you out if iron is not carried around properly or in excess. So that's another way that we can make excess inflammation. So knowing that gives the practitioner uh, the knowledge they need of how to very specifically. And the key we like, the word we like to use, the key word is personalized. I think we've got to get away from pill for the ill and personalized. You know, for example, somebody could be dealing with arthritis. You know, you typically, well, what, what do we do for arthritis? You know, the old herbal books would say, do this. When the doctor does this, he could see 10 arthritics in a row, 10 different protocols. And along the lines of protocols, we've also made a professional line of supplements called Functional Genomic Nutrition. Again, not available to the public. You won't find it if you Google it. But again, it's for the doctor that for each of the pathways, there's a nutrient that's made. And then the doctor can, can recommend that. So we're trying to be the leader in functional genomics and getting away from the pill for the ill, treating the disease, getting to the function that might be impaired. And again, it could be environmental factors. It could be get the mold out of your house. Don't sit next to your Wi-Fi all day. <laughs> Right. Stop eating ketogenic diet. Don't do that spinach. And by the way, I'm not against spinach, but if somebody's got an oxalate problem, that spinach is the problem. Uh, or if you've got a gut inflamed, I really get a little concerned that some of these formulas have all this glutamine in it. Mm -hmm. And that glutamine can turn into glutamate. Yep. So, you know, a lot of times the things we think Which are Which is helping. my kryptonite, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's the that's the big overview. Any other pathways you want to go down here? No, I think this is this is incredible. The interview kept getting better and better and better. So, <laughs> I think as you mentioned, the as a practitioner, really diving into functional, you know, I should say nutritional genomics is not for the faint of heart. I, the, with just the the small amount, I would say that I know. I, I mean, this is deep. We're deep diving into a lot here, but I will say that this has really provided hope for a lot of my really complex patients, right? This was the layer that I, even through my fellowship program, we weren't talking about barely any of this, you know, years ago. So 
companies like you, and I thank you for coming on the show because <laughs> companies like yours are really paving the way to help patients and then providers know that if, you know, those patients haven't inherited, like we opened the show with the genetic lottery, right? They can still live a long, healthy life. So absolutely. Yeah. Your, your genes is not your destiny. Right. Right. I have to ask you your top longevity tip. So let's end the show with your top longevity tip. Well, from something to do would be hydrogen water. Uh, very simple. You know, it's a little tablet you drop in a glass of water, it fizzes and it knocks the hydrogen loose. And that hydrogen will neutralize free radicals it also turns on your antioxidants. So from a something to do, uh, and then also from you know a lifestyle, try to limit your exposure to EMF. And then uh, work on that NERF2. I mean, if that's weak, you know, do some things. And there are nutrients you can do to support uh, NERF2. Mention just a few of those and we'll wrap it up. Oh, well, sure. Milk thistle is one. Uh, one that people haven't heard of is called Paractin, which comes from uh, Andrographis. We actually, for doctors, we made a product called NERF2 Support that we studied for a long time, looked at all the things that support NERF too. Resveratrol, so its, its basic premise is to stimulate the, uh, the, the NERF 2 activity so that it kicks in properly. But even having said that, you have to be careful not to do too much of it because it can actually make inflammation. So I generally start out by supporting NERF 2 uh, one to two days a week. Wonderful. You are a wealth of knowledge. Wealth of knowledge. So <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> for coming on the show. Uh, for all the listeners, be sure to check out all the show notes. I'm also going to post a link to, well, in the show notes, I will post, I guess, a list, I should say, of all the variants that, that he mentioned. And that's something that you can, those variants you can look for on your nutritional mm -hmm. genomic analysis. So thanks again for coming on the show. Have a good week. My pleasure. It's a lot of fun. Be happy to come back anytime. <laughs> thanks. Wow, again, what a complex topic we discussed, which Dr. Miller made more fun and easier to understand. If you're interested in looking at your functional genomic analysis, call the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic to pick up a test kit, or if you've previously completed 23andMe and have version 4 data or below, we can still use that data and run it through Dr. Miller's software program. If you want to take his certification course, be sure to use code Dr. Gray for $100 off, and we'll post the link to that in the show notes. In conclusion, as Dr. Miller mentioned, your genes are not your destiny. To minimize the negative environmental effects on your genes, try to reduce your exposure to glyphosate, aluminum, BPA, EMFs, and mold, and find a skilled provider who can interpret your nutrigenomic report and recommend personalized nutrition and supplements. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I do read all the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, and for how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thank you so much for listening and remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.